0: Hey, it's Lex. If you've been listening to The Well of Sound since episode one, you might be thinking, what the hell? Mott the Hoople? Isn't that the first band you ever covered? Yes, it is. And this is that episode, Remastered. As a longtime listener, you also know that we've come a long way with audio production since we started almost five years ago. What we've done for this episode is boost the sound quality add some music, and of course we couldn't resist peppering it with archival interview clips. I am so happy we could breathe new life into this episode because Dave and I truly love this band. Our mutual appreciation of Mott and their frontman, Ian Hunter, is what inspired us to try this whole idea for a show in the first place. I want to also mention that this wouldn't have happened without our subscribers on Patreon. That's really been our playground for trying out new ideas. It's where we're about to work out which artists to cover in our next season, after our upcoming Chrissy Hind episode, and it's where you'll find more remastered episodes, and the bonus episodes we've been doing. If you want to check it out, that's all at patreon.com slash well of sound. Okay, enough from me in 2023. Let's rewind to 2018. Next on the Well of Sound, Mata Hoople. It's
1: nice to be back in Los Angeles. We really mean that. Uh actually we don't mean it at all it's a drag to be back in los angeles but one must go to these places in the course of one's business (coughs) no it's all right uh we'd like to do a number for you uh call all the young dudes
2: maybe the name itself is like a it's like a bit of a high you know barrier to entry because uh, what the hell does that mean, mont the hoople right. it sounds like either it's something very specific to english slang or it is a uh, you know intentionally cult band or
0: right it almost seems like a spinal tap reference or a, uh, uh, a Monty python in fact I, is there a Monty python reference to mont the hoople as as one in a list of absurdist um, band names. It could be. Mata I mean, it, it, in it.
2: It, it's not like psychedelic weirdness. No. It's, it's glam rock weirdness. Yes. It's like, uh, you know, Spiders from Mars. It's, right. It's it's that ilk. But I think we can say, as someone who loves the name, I think you can say that they did not optimize it for public, <laughs> popular appeal.
3: It's been called one of Britain's greatest, yes, most misunderstood bands. Why misunderstood? I don't know. Oh, you don't understand that. Well, I I, I don't know. I mean, everybody had their own. It was a strange band.
0: I wanted to know what your entry point was to Mata Like, what do you remember?
2: Yeah, I do. I have a pretty clear memory of it because I'd been going through a Bowie phase, like my first Bowie beyond just Ziggy. Right, you know, or beyond, and some of the '80s tracks. You know, right. there was that the '80s Bowie that kind of grew up with, and then there's the '70s Bowie that you discover, the Hunky Dory, right, and into um, Spiders from Ziggy Stardust. And you kind of, I remember thinking, hearing all the young dudes on uh, the on the radio somehow, or maybe on a some sort kind of best of mix, and thinking uh-huh. that sounds like Bowie. It's not Bowie, but it is Bowie because you can hear him in the background right. clearly. And so,
0: what age were you? I was in high school. Okay.
2: I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was I was deep enough into Bowie that I knew who Mick Ronson was.
0: Oh, wow. That's pretty... That's that's <laughs> deep. That's not uh, casual.
2: It's not casual. But it was the early 90s. I think uh, Mick Ronson had just died. Okay. So I found out that he'd worked a lot with Martha Hoople, and that got me interested. But frankly, the name was both a turn off and a turn on in that yeah. I, when I picked up a compilation... It was the days of, you know, just picking up CD compilations. You needed a starter in a way. I didn't go with Greatest Hits. There was a a double disc that had just come out, a retrospective. And it had a song in there called The Ballad of Moth the Hoople. Yep. March 26th, 1972. (laughs) This is etched in my brain. And... uh, I'm a sucker for all songs called the Ballad of Dot. Dot oh Dot. really? Like the ballad of John. That's and worthy of an episode, mate, right? <laughs> perhaps. I know, it, it could be. The ballad of of Billy the Kid, I think, isn't that a uh,
0: Billy Joel song? I think it's a Billy Joel I song. I think it yes. is a Billy Joel song. And and you know, one that I will listen to. It's not bad, it's good Billy Joel.
4: Virginia, wrote a boy with a six-gun in his hand, and his daring life of crime made him a legend in his time, east and west of the Rio Grande.
0: Uh,
2: and so I listened to that song, and it was everything I'd been looking for. It had that glam rock thing, it had the irony, it had the, a lot of melancholy, and it had a singer whose voice was not pretty by any stretch. No.
4: Buffin lost his childlike dreams, and Mick lost his guitar, and Burton Gray, liner too, and Overham's just a rock and roll star. Uh-huh. Behind these shades, the visions fade as I love a thing or two. Oh, but if I had my time again, you all know just what I'd do. Rock and roll losers game. It lands rises and I can't explain the reason for the sight. All the sound
0: a ballad of Maha hoople is sort of the, the perfect song to to start talking about them you know it, it go, going to the well going in deep um, rock and rolls a loser's game right mm. that's the essence of Mata hoople that's a lyric from uh, Ballad of Matha hoople and uh, I, I you know there's there's just a loser's slump in in their recorded history. I mean, especially the the first through four albums are about them losing. Uh, I mean, well, sorry, it's not about them losing, but the, but that's sort of the arc of those first four albums to the point at which uh, they were going to quit. Right? Yeah,
2: the Island Records. Right. They were, uh, and you know, those were the last ones I got into. Frankly, I oh, always really? worked my way back. So you
0: started with all the young dudes, I'm assuming
2: not the record itself. I started with that, right, with that compilation and the stuff I was drawn to on there was all of the self mythologizing stuff like Ballad of Mother right. There's a song called "Hymn for the dudes. Right. What's that about? Right. And then the, their last single Saturday gigs is a history of the band. And I right. don't think they, uh,
0: which is pretty epic by the way, the fact that, that their, their grand exposure to the world, definitely to the States was all the young dudes. Um, but a Ballad of Mata Hooper, Hoopla is on Mott, right? It's mm-hmm. on all the young dudes. But just the fact that that's your first exposure to this band, it's the glam era, uh, and, and you find out through through sort of the legends that they're singing uh, that they've had a whole history, a storied history already that is a different era is, is kind of awesome and adds to the whole the whole story of the band.
2: Yeah, they quit. I mean, they quit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what the, the Ballad of Moth People's about. Yeah. We were ready to quit, and then it goes, and then we went to Croydon. And he sort of was <laughs> someone who's like What's a Croydon? teenager in Connecticut in yeah, like yeah. the 90s, is like, oh, what happened in Croydon? What is Croydon? And it sounds so... The way they say it is like, and then we went to Croydon, and life really took off. <laughs> their background they're very much working class i believe ian hunter was working in some sort of steel mill situation right when they got discovered and ian was like old to be a rock star. right
0: so i looked it up he was in his 30s and had two kids that's old to be to that start that out off to be a rock star yeah that era in particular
3: was mark the your first group or did you do something before that i was with a guy called 30 fingers lee i was a bass player And in the late 60s, I was in Germany doing like the Star Club, Hamburg, all those places that the Beatles had been before. The Beatles were there in the early 60s. Those were great days. I mean, you never got paid. You always got ripped off. And there was, there's not a guy running any of those clubs that isn't either dead or in jail for life. And I know the guys and I know where they are. I know know what happened to them. And a couple of them are justifiably dead.
0: (laughs) Should we jump into the... uh... The first four albums a, a little bit like so the uh, the story as it's told and actually the doc that that you loaned me um, is that the, they were a working class band um, playing live gigs doing all right and then Guy Stevens enters the picture and Guy Stevens. Uh, was a producer of some acclaim worked with Island Records he had produced Procol Harum and then went to jail <laughs> and basically missed out on his big moment of like Procol Harum Sword and What's Guy that? Stevens like all, all the work he had put into this band uh, you know was out of his grasp and then he got so here's where the name of Mata Hoople ties in is in jail Guy Stevens um, read a book called Mata Hoople, um, which is, I think, sort of a standard 60s absurdist uh, anti-establishment um, book about a, a, a road trip of sorts and sort of a, a buffoon main character. I think Mott, Mott is, the name, is the last name of the main character. The hoople, I think, is sort of like 60s slang, British slang, for, and I probably got this wrong, but from what I can tell, it's sort of slang for a square. For a square. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: okay. That makes sense. I Yeah. I, I knew so it was. Inherently this good. Mott the Hoople yeah.
0: is kind of an ironic punk name.
2: Yeah. They um Guy Stevens was like a I mean, that's a, another episode in its own right. He's the guy that quote unquote produced London Calling by the classic. Right. And he was known as being more of like a instigator or more like a provocateur right. than him ha- knowing anything about music. Right. His whole... He, he was maybe like a Rick Rubin type character, but on... Or a,
0: a Malcolm... Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Malcolm McLaren. McLaren, yeah.
2: Because he would go in and try to create a, an atmosphere right. of insanity, for what it sounds like. Or just right. debauchery, but also... He would carry guns, I think. I mean, oh, really? He sounded, not Phil Spectory, he, it doesn't sound like he even had a sense of what instruments should go where. He just wanted to get the band into the mood to make like dangerous kind of... Uh, um,
0: and I, th- th- I think that that is reflected in the second album, uh, which is... Well, so the first album's called Mop the Hoople.
2: Yeah, it's got that MC Escher... Right. Drawing on it that you see in college dorms, or you used to see in college dorms. Who knows what they put in college dorms now? <laughs> the second one, what is it? The Brightkeepers uh,
0: or Madgetta's. Uh Clearly, it was like a dark period. Second album in a dark period for them. It sounds like Guy Stevens was sort of like off his rocker, and and, and they were really receptive to. Well, not starting in the summer of
3: '69. At that time, it was uh, Flower Power and Blues Guys. You know, looking at their genitals and nobody was like delivering to audiences And we thought it was time for a bit of excitement a bit of flashness I remember with the shades. It was like not not a neat thing to do to wear shades I was considered very arrogant and very flash, you know, and that's precisely why I wore them, you know, we, we felt that That it was this, it was very stagnated. The scene was so you know, blues is great, but blues is boring, you know, and I don't know about the hippie thing, you know I mean, we walked right in the middle of that. We went and played the Fillmore West for Quicksilver. That was the first gig we ever did. It was hilarious. All these all these drugs that we were getting offered, they thought we was dope fiends, because we were weird, you know. We had this weird name, we did these weird songs. But I mean, I'd have Alpha lager and I was slightly tipsy, you know. We were all straight. <laughs>
4: style
0: Well, here's a good way to start. So this is the opening to uh, Mad Shadows, which is um, Thunderbuck Oh shoot, uh, Thunderbuck Ram, which, okay, so it's worth pointing out that the lead guitarist is Mick Ralphs, who went on to be in Bad Company and, and be a driving force. He put, paired up with Paul Rogers uh, in that band. But, man, so just this... <laughs> And that's sort of the divide that happens in those first four Island Years albums: is you get Mick Ralph's vocals and you get Ian Hunter, mm-hmm. and they're t- it's a different style.
2: It, very different, and, and clearly, like Ian wins the contest because Ian, although his voice is technically probably not as good as Mick's, no, he has he's got so a rock star voice though. coming out of his ears yeah. at this point. But wait, wait, I have to say one thing. Yes. W- one of the things about. Great rock bands, as we all know, they have amazing names, individual members. and we, you Okay, know, yeah, hit it. You know, we have not just, like, you think of Guns N' Roses. You have Izzy Stradlin, Slash, you, right. know, you know, a Duff McKagan, and Axl Rose. I mean, that, they sound like superheroes, right? Well, these guys were named Buffin Griffin. That's the name of the drummer who became, mm-hmm. went on to become a serious producer. Then there's Verdon Allen, but they would call him Fally Allen. Fally Allen. Fally Allen, and he was like the organist and stuff. And then you have Overend Watts. That's the <laughs> bass player. So Overend Watts, Fally Allen, Griffin, or Buffin Griffin, and then you have Mick Ralphs and Ian Hunter. Ian Hunter, ironically enough, has got like the most pedestrian name of all those that's guys. True. I mean, who names their kid Overend? <laughs> <laughs> it's, even for the English, that's really yeah. eccentric. Right, right, right. And uh, yeah, but those 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 Island Records. So they go from Mad Shadows, which yep. I'm not sure had like a none of these had hit singles on them.
0: No. So and then that that's what they talk about is that um, they were a fantastic live band and they had a fantastic following, and they couldn't translate translate that to album sales. That mm. you know whoever these people were that were coming to see them. We're not buying albums, and so they were never really like placing on the charts, and and eventually, I think that became really frustrating for them, uh, to the point that by the fourth album, which is well, we skip over Wildlife, which is Mick um, Ralph's kind of calls it his Laurel Canyon album. It's sort of a throw. throw towards the birds and uh, Graham Parsons and it's got the song Waterlow on it but
2: otherwise it's it's not it's not the one I return to very often I actually go to Mad Shadows a lot more of the Island records I probably go to Mad Shadows and then the next one which you're about to um, mention I think yeah
0: which is Brain Capers I mean the first track of this Yeah. yeah hit it
2: the first track is called "Death May Be Your Santa Claus," which I guess was a another title given to them by Guy Stevens. Oh, really? And uh, doesn't it also have a cover of that Dion song, "Your Own Backyard," or who, who I don't know, forget who. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't know who wrote that. It is a cover, and it is fantastic. I feel like um, you know Ian's songwriting style and vocals really like start to soar with with those tracks, uh, "Your Own Backyard," "The Journey." Um, they cover "Darkness, Darkness," the Youngblood song, um, and uh, and there are some tracks uh, previous to that that I. The think-
2: wheel of the quivering meat. Yeah, that was another apparently That's- Guy Stevens title.
0: This happens, but they sort of fall into that like organ rock zone Mm -hmm. on those first four albums a little bit.
2: I wonder if, I honestly wonder if, I forgot about the Guy Stevens Procol Harum thing, but I wonder if he was trying to replicate a little bit of that. In which case, the the records are like shambolic in a very charming way, but you could understand why they didn't sell much. Yeah. not, Not only the song titles, but like the journey on there's a nine minute epic of world weariness and like losing yeah another rock and roll's a losing game it sort of predates that and mm-hmm. then you have these it's a it's a little schizophrenic because then you have these like mississippi queens around and like they've got these stonesy kind of rockers <laughs> that are more like and they look the whole time they look like uh the uh, new york dolls
0: yeah for sure like they it's
2: they're sending a lot of mixed messages
3: lots of influences were across between bob Dylan and the Stones they were not nowhere near I mean we, we touched near we ran parallel with David Bowie but we also ran parallel with Bob Dylan you know it was weird it was a very strange vibe. you could never put your finger on and perhaps that's why you said uh, they were misunderstood
0: if he started with a Bob Dylan vibe he sort of graduated into a, a, a Mick Jagger vibe and then sort of holds his own and becomes his own thing yeah um so this is probably a good time to start talking about the phase two
2: phase two mach
0: two so they part ways with Guy Stevens because I think they just couldn't take it they were emotionally battered by that relationship Um, and uh, David Bowie got word that uh, they were gonna bail I think they were on tour and they told Island that uh, they were done Island wasn't Happy about it, and they were sort of surprised that Island wasn't happy about it. They sort of assumed, like, oh, we suck. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, They've given us four shots, yeah, and, hit it and we haven't done it. Um, but David Bowie enters the picture and says, um, I'll give you a song called Suffragette City. Uh, and mm-hmm. they could see the value in it, but it just wasn't for them. It seems like Ian Hunter is very aware of what he can and cannot do mm-hmm. as far as his vocal styling. Um, and so I guess Suffragette said he wasn't one of them But All the Young Dudes was Which, um, so Suffragette's on uh, It's a Ziggy Stardust Ziggy Stardust if, if it's not on there,
2: it's a single for, I think it's a single from that era
0: Right, um, but Dudes wasn't recorded, right?
2: No uh, Dudes, Dudes, there is a demo version out there of Bowie singing it
4: all night about his suicide How he kicked it in the head when he reached 25 that speed jive, you wanna stay alive when you're 25. Wendy's stealing clothes from Marks and Sparks, and freddie has got spots from ripping off stars from his face. The funky little go race. And the television man is crazy, saying we're juvenile, delinquent wrecks. And man, I need a TV when I've got T Rex to you guys i
2: especially in America they're sure. like oh that's a David Bowie song because you can hear him in the background right. singing very David Bowie-esque vocals right and then they get Bowie sometimes he, he's so he, maybe they're a musician's band or something like that you know the artist's artist kind of thing
0: they're clearly like navigated by a point of view it seems like Guy Stevens really sort of turned them into something mm-hmm. and it didn't work I mean it worked there's some good stuff in those four albums but um uh, then they were sort of crafted, you know, taken on a new path by by Bowie, and that, and so they blew up with with all the young dudes, uh, and went had their fir- I think their first U.S. Uh, tour, and that's when they sort of start to become like a thing. No, what happened
3: was when when Bowie came over and Hooper came over and Roxy. Loxie- that, you know, that Roxy music, yeah yeah, 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 the big glam thing. Yeah, yeah they didn't really t- like us on the coast much. Uh, when we went th- to Cleveland, that was the first time we sold a club out. Right, and it was the same for David, and it was the same for Roxy. And at the same time, Carson would be on, or Mike Douglas, and people like this, Merv Griffin. Right. And was, Cleveland was kind of like the Poland of America. You know? Yeah, they used to Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't like that, because we thought we were cool. And we thought the coolest place was Cleveland. It is a cool like, place. Right? Yeah. So I wrote the song, you know.
0: Cleveland does rock. I, I wouldn't call them a glam band before all the young dudes. Is that, is that fair? Uh,
2: yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't remember when they started wearing the platform boots. But they certainly ended up there. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, they were more of like a pub rock working man's sort of like, you know, badassery right. of, of Northern England. We
3: were called working class heroes. Um, they were a very working class band, Don Flash, but they went Flash in the Stones way. They didn't go Flash in the Glitter way. We were very against Glitter. We didn't like Glitter it was satin and cheap uh, rhinestones and stuff like that. We didn't like that stuff.
0: So seventy two gives us um, uh, rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust, the Slider, and uh, the first Roxy Music album. I mean, the glam weird. is like kicking in hard, and those are those are some of the best. The year before when they were doing Brain Capers was Hunky Dory and Electric Warrior. So Electric Warrior seventy one. Yeah. <laughs>
2: worst cover that they ever put out uh it has it's got all that like really treble heavy production of bowie and so i while i um yeah it's got their sweet jane cover on it it's got one for me it's got one amazing song on it outside of all the young dudes and that's sea diver which is the final song and it's it's another one of these like gut-wrenching yeah. ballads that Hunter would include and he, at this point it was like the outlier he'd do one per record and right. this song is just um, I mean it, it kills me every
4: time Something comes Something go And something dies the Close. And I'm like a sea diver mm-hmm. Who's lost in space Sweet, that was Oh, Lord, I wish I could escape This iron rail Right on, my son Ride right on my song, ride right till you fail.
2: It's it's a song of suffocation and. Uh sadness but also with this incredible backing yeah which that was a big that was a big song for me and I, I kind of sought out when i was originally getting into them i sought seek out those kind of some would call them melodramatic tracks but yeah i like the rock you mean stuff. in general not in just general
0: not just mott or well, from them.
2: especially because okay. not everyone could pull it off when you have like a beauty like you could sound like barry manilow if you're trying to you know if you've got like a Broadway type voice, right? And Hunter has this voice that sounds like it's been ravaged. Yeah, it's fragile. It's fragile. He's not quite hitting some of the notes, but right. his his poetry is very forthright and um, uncomplicated, but yeah. still beautiful, which is, as we know, is like supremely hard to do. Yep.
0: Um, so that I mean, so that sort of was my uh, entry point into Matthew I was, uh, you know, came from a, a like a classic rock radio background like all that stuff was what i was listening to bad company queen steve miller you know and i but i had changes bowie uh and that always stuck with me and so i think once i um had access to to buying more records i really went down the glam route and and bowie was my guide Um, And I I did a lot of reading about that era and Mott the Hoople always came up. And so I thought, oh, okay, I'll pick that up. But for me at the time, Mark Boland, David Bowie, Roxy Music were what I was like leaning on and loving and like couldn't get enough of. But with time, I kept finding myself playing All the Young Dudes and their next album, Mott, like over and over and over again. And I think the reason why is because while those those other bands are style and glam and uh, show, Mott is is at its core emotionally raw and um, uh, uh, vulnerable.
4: Yeah.
0: And as a result, they, they last longer. I can keep going back t- back to those albums. And, and eventually I got a, a compilation disc, The Island Years, which yeah. puts those first four albums together.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that it's got legs in a way that it, you almost don't expect, given the the plasticine yes. kind of image that you're given. But Hunter, w- one thing, uh, I remember when someone was describing like the um, the band's first record, Music from Big Pink, that it sounded yeah. like, gr- like adult men were making music <laughs> and a lot of <laughs> other stuff. I mean, you got this teenage, you know, you really got me, you got the Beatles, these young men, and then you have like... Grown ass man. I don't even know. Right. I, was, I don't even want, I don't want to make it a big masculinity thing, but I would say there was something about Hunter's perspective. Maybe because he started when he was in his 30s and he had kids and he'd seen some of the world and was yeah. a little bit more self effacing about it. It, it. It's spoken to me through, as I've gotten older and some of the glam stuff, as much as I love it and I want to put it on when I want to get jazzed up or set right. the vibe, I kind of like, I feel like he's, he's almost like
0: singing my life a little bit I totally agree and he's usually singing his life as, as well the, the charting either Mott or there's a lot of love songs interspersed uh, about his wife evidently mm-hmm. and, and they're truly um, they're, they're moving I mean one of the one of the songs that I always go to that you know can, can really like get to me is I wish I was I Wish I Was Your Mother, oh. which is on Mott, yeah. which is the album after all the young dudes. And um, I might pull that up.
2: Think when he brought them that song, I always like what this one's called I Wish I Was Your Mother. Not I Wish I Was Your Father. Mm-hmm. I Wish I Was Your Mother. And that's sort of a little bit transgressive and interesting. And all of a sudden, yeah. like, what is he talking about? And then you hear it and it's got mandolin, it's almost a country rock song, but it's got this perfect melody. And that whole record, Mod. for me, when I think of my great love of Martha the Hoople, yeah. I think of That record Yep, me too And I think of the I think of the follow-up The Hoople Which I really, really love Some people say Because at this point Mick Ralphs is on the um, He's sort of on the ropes And he quits after Yeah uh, Mott, but he has played all the songs for the Hoople and even co-written them. So they get this guy named Ariel Bender,
0: right? <laughs> well, that's what they. Co- it's a pseudonym. it's right? a
2: pseudonym for Luke, Luke uh, Grobsner, the guy L- from Spooky. L-
0: 2. Luther Grobsner. Luther,
2: <laughs> which why does he need a pseudonym? But I don't know. it's uh, they. Uh, he just plays all the Ralph's parts. So in a sense, the final yeah. the Hoople record is a, is that uh,
0: and the most glammy. It's uh, the most glammy. For sure. Yeah. Don't you roll think? away the stone. Roll I away mean, the stone. The
2: top of the pops video of that is worth every one. I got to check that out. Above. I don't know it,
0: um, but let, I just wanted to read. So I found Rolling Stone, um, uh, their review of Mott. Um, and I think it might. Uh, be worth a, a read here, and I'll rush through it. But despite his daring, I don't consider Hunter's approach excessive because consciously or intuitively he's in control of every drawl, mince, pause, and mumble. Mattha path from audacity and optimism through a series of false starts, pitfalls, wrong turns, and missed opportunities to its present point of view, permeated by weariness, sadness, and a frighteningly full well of irony seems a necessary part of the band's specialness. It's now apparent that Mattha the Hoople is not playing out the role it once thought it was, emerging superstars, but that of those who dream and struggle only to watch options run out. In other words, the loser. That they became aware of this crucial paradox and were able to capitalize on it aesthetically is impressive enough that they turned what appeared to be just a highly ironic misfortune into a deeply personal, haunting, all but tragic one cast them in a singular light. Literally and symbolically, Mott sounds very much like a terminal statement. Which...
2: Essentially, it was. It was was the end of the
0: band. Um, The album is so well done and so absorbing on every level, however, that Mott the Hoople may well have to deal with still another irony, success following a full acceptance of failure, (laughs) a success in the very terms by which that failure has been defined. I'd welcome that irony because I would hate to watch this very special band die, which it does. (laughs) Which it does. (laughs)
2: record, The Hoople, I mean, it's full of, like, uh, Roll Away the Stone, the which kind of is resurrection so thing, but it's actually really about wanting to sleep with this girl, <laughs> which is kind of brilliant yeah. in a way. But then um, there's some, like, more, I don't know, he's, he's getting a little, Proggy's the wrong word, but when he gets into, like... Um, an, the, the one Alice, the, the yes, you remind me of Manhattan Marionette, 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 which is, I think, it's also my top five tracks. Okay, which I'm about to press you on.
4: No, puppet, no liar, won't bend my lips to wire. No, don't pressurize me so, don't gamble with my life. just
2: They did a residency right. on Broadway
0: right and I think what sounds like sort of a pre Alice Cooper style show they had props and <laughs> f- fog and, and like they really put on a theatrical show and on that tour and I think on that Broadway uh, run Queen was their opening act and it was Queen's first album and evidently Queen uh, you know was, was nicely influenced by them I, I'm sure they didn't need any help but yeah uh, I
2: remember hearing that Mick Ralphs was gone at that point, but yes. they did a residency. I mean, and uh, they're not the kind of band you think would do a residency on Broadway, but no. they they did it. And but then they eulogize themselves again at the very end with those. So Mick Ronson finally joins the band. Bowie has fired him, or he's let Bowie's taken off, and, and he's
0: doing his first solo album maybe sort of at the same time Mick Ronson
2: maybe close to it but he's first they bring him into like produce and they're like why don't you just join and they do the Foxy Foxy single and then they do Saturday (laughs) gigs which is like they know that they're over at that point they're right. saying do you remember the saturday gigs we do yeah they talk about when they took the Mick. they count they, down the, the years the right years. it was they're a like, five-year run they, i mean this is like I, I never heard of the the incredible venue the roundhouse they talk about the roundhouse they talk about taking mick jagger out of the top of the pops and that was like a big thing and, oh really and uh and six 74, 74 on the broadway
4: tour than the
0: they're including the, the, the tour they just were on. <laughs>
4: I know. I was like, when I think about
2: that. It's 74, the Broadway tour, I mean, it, it's right there. It's hard to write about yourself. And he, he does and this nail it. Where he does, he writes us about specifics. And specifics are tough if you overdo it because then you just, it's insularity. Yeah. And But somehow he could be specific and I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, I know, 74 <laughs> tour. We really just couldn't do it anymore, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that Rolling Stone uh, review that you mentioned, Um, got it for me. It really captures and of course Hunter though goes on to do amazing stuff. Right. Amazing stuff. And so it's
0: worth mentioning the the solo album that happened sh- shortly after that that has stuff that, that he wrote while in Mott, right? Yeah.
2: I mean, that's when he does uh, Once Bitten, Twice Shy. Yes. Which we all know from
0: Covered C- Cinderella. Covered by The Great Great White.
2: Oh, The Great Great Excuse me. Oh, my goodness. I got the Great Great Ooh, <laughs> oh. that I always think of Great Way. Or Great White. They had a tragedy. They had a major tragedy. Yeah. One of the th- ways I got into Mott the Hoople was through Morrissey, and, uh, you know, think what you like about the Smiths or whatnot. I remember reading that, that when the Smiths showed up to the John Peel sessions or the BBC to do some kind of recording early on, um, uh, Buffin Griffin, who was their drummer, <laughs> was the guy behind the table uh, recording them. And mm-hmm. like, they were told they were not allowed to mention Martha the Hoople, but Morrissey was known as obsessed with Martha the Hoople. Okay. And this is from Morrissey's uh, autobiography, Uh, he says, uh, he's he's talking about getting in trouble at his Catholic school and uh, the priest sort of putting him on the spot and he says and what do you like in life the priest asks me, ready to play the patronizing game at my expense in order to raise a giggle from the rest of the class thus rendering him popular for a few perverse minutes (laughs) Mott the Hoople, I answer truthfully
4: I'm feeling ugly I'm feeling low Morning mirror You ain't no rose Did I mean it? Or did I lie? Or did I dream it? Oh Christ, I'm tired.
2: I think when I think like I don't know how you can be so confident about self-hatred or or yeah. self-loathing or uh, scrutiny as you hear like a song like "Through the Looking Glass," which is an unbelievably powerful song off the hoople, and you have him just excoriating himself, mm-hmm. uh, Ian Hunter. Mm-hmm. Yet it sounds grandiose and somehow victorious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's again a, another one of these. Um, they find success in their acceptance yeah. of their failure. They're endlessly interesting. I find that they end-
0: are, and they're clearly. I mean, to to your point about Morrissey, the uh, they're like the Velvet Underground are a band that influenced countless bands afterwards. I think, yeah. even though they're they're hardly remembered by so many.
3: There were certain songs like Clash, Street Kids, uh, Pearl, and Roy. These are songs that later said what was going to happen a lot later you know with the Pistols, The Clash and whatever those songs sort of said that was going to happen four years before it happened then there was the other element to them, they were very flash band you know they were, they were very flash clothes, they weren't as gaudy as say Mark Boland or, or um, Slave but they were kinda of out there with the Roxies of the world and the Bowies of the world they were very kind of crazily dressed so they had a lot to do with style, and then they were commercial too. You know, you couldn't really put your finger on that. Some people thought they were very profound, very deep. Other people thought they were commercial band. I don't know. To me, it was just we wrote songs and we recorded them, and we were lucky. You know, every time we got a good decent song, we put it down, and that was it.
0: Um, so they, they sort of break apart into into multiple. Factions. The British Lions. They become the British Lions. Which <laughs> uh, sort
2: of, it looks a little bit like Def Leppard. Right, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah, I
0: don't they think become, There's anything wrong with no, that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, Ian Hunter has a strong solo career, puts out lots of albums, oh, right? He's still putting out albums. He's still going. He's, he's still like in his
2: going. late 70s. And the funny thing is, his voice, it has only gotten more appropriate cuz you kind of always sounded like an old man. Yeah, yeah. But not like an old man like 50. He always sounded like he was maybe 70. Yeah, yeah. And now he actually is 70 and it really really works.
0: Um do you want to do you want to hit us with your your five essential uh Mott the Hoople songs?
2: Okay, these are a little idiosyncratic, but that's where we are. Um It's got to happen. I would say the journey is the or I'll go in chronological order. okay I'd say the journey is a, a biggie for me. Um Probably No Wheels to Ride, though. That's that's off okay. of, of Mad Ra- Shadows. Over, yeah, um, Shadows. That's Shadows. That would actually be the first. Um, I love that. I think I would skip over, outside of maybe Sea Diver, but I'd probably skip over that entire record of all the young dudes. Okay. And I'd go to I Wish I Was Your Mother. I think that, that song stands the test of time. Him uh, for the Dudes is a big favorite of mine. Okay. Um, but then I would end certainly with uh, Saturday gigs. I just think. Oh, you'd love that. If you're gonna write an autobiographical song about your band ending <laughs> that is somehow bittersweet but also Are euphoric, you... I mean, why not go. That's that the blueprint. And it's like, how did you expect this to be a hit? I mean, you're really singing about specific things. It's true. Things. It might be a little too. And I
0: like that there's a certain arrogance there that, like, they were like, well, to hell with it. We're like we're putting out hits, and just accept this.
2: <laughs> just deal with it. Deal with this. <laughs> deal with this. Oh, oh, Marionette would be in there. I think Marionette. Yeah, yeah. It works. It's like this kind I of a uh, song suite that is. It captures the kind of danger of it. Of, of yeah,
0: there's some madness in the hoople. It's not my my most favorite album. Uh, it gets uh, so glam that it 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 it, uh, it falls into the like. Mark Boland Territory, Some, sometimes that, that doesn't feel as strong to me as, as Mott, but I mm-hmm. still like, it's still fun to listen to, oh, wait, which, which uh, is the point of Glenn.
2: Uh Lex, which record is Rose on? Is that a B-side? That's
0: on Mott.
2: Because that song I think it is also kills me. That's another that's one of those. That's great. Anyway, what about you?
0: So I also chose No Wheels to Ride. Uh, I feel like that's the moment that Ian Hunter really shines. That's on the second second yeah. album and you really get to hear him for for who he is. Uh I chose I love one of the boys mm. of uh all the young dudes. Um I am a sucker for for telephones and songs. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the one of the boys has a, a, a little telephone uh, uh uh production element, but I do just love that song. Um it's fun, it's driving. Uh I I I I chose that over Sea Diver even though I love Sea Diver. Um, I really love violence uh, in on Mott. Um, violence. Uh, violence. Violence. It's the only thing that will make you see sense. Got fight. Nothing
4: right. That's so sad. this so
0: I already said is great and uh, I picked Roll Away the Stone because I just feel like it's so good it's so glammy and so fun that it's worth like you know noting what what they become there at the end yeah Um, and I didn't choose anything off of Ian's solo uh, record which I love I can listen to that anytime anytime you ask me to boy
2: boy the song boy yeah it's really him taking some of that balladry some of that self-hating but beautiful stuff into a whole new I can see you run I can yeah. see you. isn't that that song yeah it is it, it's, uh, it's pretty much perfect Roll Away the Stone does not does Roll Away the Stone is the one that's got the uh, the little drama in the middle there's, there's a, a, rock a
4: rockabilly party body body on a Saturday on night are you gonna be there well, I get my invite gonna bring your records oh
2: I mean, they, they, were,
0: uh, they were hammering it there's, out. There's there. a
2: deep, deep well.
0: Yeah, and and but I
2: think that's a, I, hey, I'm happy with those 10, 10 whatever. Those albums. are
0: good, and we'll put them together and, and create a little uh, a Spotify uh, playlist. But I figured uh, to to roll us out. Um, there's a there's an outtake on uh, available on Ian Hunter's solo album, which is Shades Off which is part of another song, and it's just a spoken word poem, and it goes right into Boy, the song you were just talking about, so I figured we could, we could roll out on, on Ian Hunter's words. Roll the way the stone, man.
1: Where do you go when you've somewhere to run but the time isn't right and there's things to be done and you're trapped halfway up. You don't want to go back, so you keep going on compromising the lack and you see the green fields as you travel on by and you look at the things you'd forgotten to try and you wish you were young and you wish you were old for the song's always sung and the story's been told and you thought you were different but what did that mean for you tricked yourself trying life still unseen As it is, as it was, as it always will be. Will you find out at all what it is to be free? See, it never was easy to live with a head. So I kept to the back room and I live there instead. What comes from the front room is only for friends. I have a bay window, but that's where it ends. And it's here I see pictures and my madness is clear. And there's no longer logic. So therefore no fear. And I'm almost dead with uncontrollable light. Sometimes when I've written a song, it's alright. Genocidal
4: tendencies are silly to extreme. After all your st- Quite small. You don't know where you'd be. You was only. Make a stand So put the coke away Boy You got to do the show Got to let the people know You got the strength to stay I can see you run I can see you heart.